one very brief text punctuated my week that has just passed. It was Monday, 10 o'clock, more specifically, 10.03. And the text simply read, we lost our guy. It sent me on an emotional and spiritual roller coaster, redirected the nature of my week, and set me up on a thinking that I would like to briefly share with you in the next couple of minutes. The text was authored by our friend Danny. We call him Danny. Is Daniel Kamau Njino. A very dear, old, very trusted friend. And it was addressing a gentleman who we have come to be amazing friends by the name of Charlo. So some of you who may not know Charlo, let me just give you a bit of a background. So I believe Danny introduced Charlo to our meetings, the Bible study classes which we used to have at Tumaini House. And uh, initially, he would um, come in because I guess we started at about 6 and there about 6.30 headed to 7, he would leave. And very politely, he would beckon in my direction and um, let me know that he needs to leave. So I got to know that um, a dear friend of mine, actually one of my very, very close friends, had started the Bible study in the same building, I believe a floor above the one we were in. In fact, this is not just a friend. I think I was his um, best man. And we have grown together in ministry for the longest time. We still are best of friends. And uh, Charlo would be attending um, my friend's Bible study for reason that... Um, he was part of the church membership. And so I felt it was very polite of him to just spend those few moments with us. And then later, check out so that he can be able to join his church Bible study. Now, a couple of months later, I noted that uh, he wasn't leaving. So he would actually stay all the way till the end. And uh, I would observe him because uh, coincidentally, we used to finish the meetings, both Bible studies, our own and my friend's Bible study, about the same time. And so we would kind of meet all of us down there. And I would imagine how awkward it was for him now that he was being seen as being part of our Bible study. But I thought, this must be so courageous of this young man. Years have passed. Many things have happened. 
I got to know this young man much better. And we became very tight. I admired his brilliance. Admired his uh, hunger for knowledge. In actual fact, they say that you can tell a lot about a man by the questions they ask. I always thought he had very pointed and deep questions indicating his desire to sink even much deeper in understanding the scriptures and understanding the things of God. Now, I, might also, I, must, I must also tell you that um, uh, I don't plan to talk about this uh, a few minutes ago, just a few minutes ago, maybe less than 15 minutes back. I decided that I was going to do this. We were actually speaking with my wife. If we would make our Bible study lesson be also the sermon um, lesson. But then we've, I felt that it was good just to share a few moments with us to appreciate um, this gentleman who left us. By now, I'm sure you know. That our brother Charlo passed on early Monday morning. He was a constant, ever-present, beautiful company. Every Bible study, like the one we are about to have in a few minutes. And always there on Thursdays. And we had a lot to speak. And so, and I want to talk about this and kind of just compare it a little, if you allow with John 11, I will not read, I will just quote the scripture so that I can be able to move quickly and just, just tell you, I'll be able to tell you what I think is so interesting in comparison between our friend Charlo who has gone to be with the Lord and um, what happened in John 11. So John 11 is a story of Lazarus. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and we are brought into a scene because we don't know Lazarus up to that point. We know the sisters, we don't know Lazarus up to that point. And we are brought, at, we are brought into that scene at a time when Lazarus is sick. It begins by saying, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, and please follow this, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's an amazing introduction. Can you imagine somebody introducing you in respect to the Lord that the one you love, the one you love. And needless to say, it's not enough that the Lord loved Lazarus. We also know that this family loved the Lord because that is as it should be, symbiotic. When he heard this, the Bible says, Jesus says, 
This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's the emphasis. In matter of fact, if you go down there, and maybe I can just go ahead of myself and read verse 11. After he said this, he went, out to, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. These are amazing, amazing words that speak to the relationship that Jesus had between himself and Lazarus, and by extension, Mary and Martha, the sisters. But what I want to bring to your attention is that the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus, the fact that he even referred to him as his friend, did not stop Lazarus from not only being sick, but dying or succumbing as a result. And why do I say this? It's because half of the time I've known Charlo, he's been very unwell. He has been hospitalized a couple of times. I remember one time he was at the Coptic Hospital and my wife and I went to visit him. So we were told by the nurse at the desk that he was in a such and such a room, such and such a bed. So we went over, looked at the room, looked at the two people, I believe there were two who were in that room, and um, were convinced that he wasn't there. So we went back to the nurse and said, you know, uh, I think you gave us a wrong room because uh, he's not there. I said, no, no, go back there. Are you looking for so-and-so? He said, are you looking for so-and-so? Go back there. And that just tells you the manner in which this particular sickness had um, taken a toll on him, that we were, we were incapable of recognizing him. And so we spent a couple of minutes and then let him rest. He tried to explain to me the nature, the name, of the disease, the sickness, it sounded quite complex up to now. I think I've lost most of the details. Uh, all I know is that it made him extremely unwell and that it was extremely rare. So the bulk of what we've spoken with him for the time I've known him is, um, as you would expect from a spiritual leader to somebody who is, um, you know, um, in part of his membership, at least in the Bible study class, and somebody who had, had drawn very close to my own circle of friends, was more to do with it shall be well. Everything you would expect, all the Christian language that we have garnered and gathered and become very proficient in using, and rightly so, to encourage, to bring hope to somebody who is unwell. So we use scripture. We've come up with nice, beautiful quotations so that we can just spur our brother back to health. 
And this has uh, dragged for so long. But I still want to come back to that point before I can just go back to where I'm, I am presently. That the fact that Lazarus loved Jesus, because we know he did, and that much more, even much more, even much more, the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus did not stop Lazarus, allow me to repeat this, from being sick and sick to the point of succumbing to the sickness. And this to me tells me that our relationship with God is not, and I'm afraid this may come as unpleasant and probably not be well received by many people, but the fact that Jesus loves us does not mean that you have immunity from the challenges, the vagaries, the life negative situations, the discomfitures, the painful experiences, sometimes even the traumatic experiences that just about everybody else, including the next person, who may not even, as it were, call on the name of the Lord, as you do, go through. And, and, and it's a huge theological discussion. And I don't want, I don't even think I have the energy nor the time to even go there. It has been spoken, books and mass have been written why the righteous suffer. All we know and what is agreed, anybody with any sense at all knows that righteous people suffer. And so I, I go back to where I was earlier. I've, I've, I've known uh, Charlotte to bear suffering and bear sickness with such courage, very stoically. Um, I don't think I ever detected, as recent as when he last was, and that is very recent, um, part of our Bible study, you know, Tetati, he was sounded very upbeat. I've never detected even now, you know, speck of regret or doubt or feeling of pain and questioning God. I, I, I really, I, every other time we spoke, I always felt that he always brought out the better side, the best side of everything that was going on in his life, which is amazing, to be honest. I'm around people a lot, and I know people who, you know, they their suffering is always on their sleeves. It's very easy. It comes out very quickly. The other thing I would like to bring out is that um, the Bible clearly says that when Jesus had this, he stayed where he was for an extra four days. I mean, so it is not enough that um, the one that you love is sick. Okay, so being loved by God and in and in 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 um, 
same measure, loving God is not immunity, is not vaccination, is not inoculation. Again, is the challenges, the painful experiences of life. That's one. Reality check number one. Let it settle. Number two, that whilst this is actually an emergency, the only other person who could take care of this problem didn't show up. And again, I want to say this, reiterate that um, it's very easy when you preach or you share or you speak the word of God to look for to look for the things which um, are, in quote, politically correct, things which people want to hear, okay? But let me just tell you, in a raw, in a real, raw, present moment situation, if you are dealing with an emergency and you love somebody, say a spouse or a friend or whatever it is, somebody who is and they are able to come through for you, and they don't come through for you. I don't think people shout hallelujah. I don't think people sing songs of praise. I don't think people think very fondly of that relationship. And you can bet your bottom dollar on this one. The, the brother, the sick man, Mary and Martha, must have wondered a whole lot of things, just like many people. Presently in our present situation or in situations to come, wonder and will wonder. And I think the first thing that you want to question at that particular time, because I've been there, you've been there. There are people who are there right now, presently, real, as a seat you're sitting on if you're seated. The first question that comes, you begin calling to question the love that that person has for you. Or maybe did I understand definition of love correctly? What part of love don't I understand? Because we have it all in black and white. That if you love somebody at a bare minimum, you will be at the snap of a finger, as it were, be there if at all they were in a need. Now, this is not just a need, friends. This is an emergency. A man is teetering at the precipice of life and death. He's right at the cliff, at the very edge. You know, we go and visit people when they're in their streets and their situations, even when we cannot help. But we go, we, we feel it that it is part of our humanity to stand with them at that point in time. We go to hospitals even when we know clearly that the situation is desperate and probably we are the least capable people to alleviate or ameliorate the situation. But we still go. So I want to say this, that let's remove the Christianese, let's remove the Christian language and the Christian tonnage into this. And let's look at the raw story. You know, like the way they call it, the uncut story. Let's look at the clip now, which is not censored. Let's look at the, let's look at the unstructured notes. Let's look at the unrehearsed 
notes or thoughts. Well, you can rehearse your thoughts and you can form them in a way that you, you know, you feel they fit correctly. But let's just look at those things that at your very comfortable level without having to psych yourself. Okay? The off-the-cuff notes. You know, they always say the off-the-cuff notes are always the real, the real speech. The real speech. What went on in their minds? Yeah, what is going on in our minds right now? That for the longest time, this young man suffered, struggled, uh, and we believed and prayed and trusted and talked and shared and did everything that needs to be done like I'm sure we all do. Um, and to the surprise of very many people, let me tell you, including myself, I mean, I spoke to Charlo, he tells me, Pastor, you can't believe it. I'm going through this crazy physio, they're painful like hell, but I tell you, I began using my muscles a bit. Oh, now I'm able to stand. Oh, I moved up, I moved out of the house. Would you believe I took a walk? I mean, and all this is in a space of probably a year or more, okay? And every single step we celebrated with jubilation. Every single step, we just we just relished every moment. It was amazing. And to the point whereby I and all of us knew the worst is over. Oh, the worst is over. I want to believe that when these people, you know, Mary and Martha had, including Lazarus, that Jesus has said that this will not end in death. I mean, they must have relaxed their guard and said, okay, the master has spoken. It's a done deal. It's settled. No debate. This is it. You know, to imagine that Charlo had to go not from what would ordinarily have been and very naturally have been the big disease. I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. We came from the worst, not this. I'm just going to say, we don't want to spiritualize things and say, you know, I mean, for example, I mean, I, I, I really, I mean, it, it would be good if I was to come and tell you Jesus stayed for four days. Four means the number of this. No, 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 no. We're not going to go there. Trust you me, I can. I believe I have the gift of God and I can conjure something. But I don't think that is what these people were thinking. Four is not a number of anything. Four was a number of delay, period. Four was a number of anxiety, period. Four was a number of wondering and questioning and thinking and reevaluating friendship and wondering what part of love they never understood. Period. Let's not spiritualize it. Probably four was a number of anger. Not to mention agony of waiting. Okay. And so I don't know why four days. It could have been five or two. It doesn't matter. All it did is what you know it would do to a human being. There's a part there that I like and which I want to bring to our attention. And that is when Jesus heard about Lazarus, he says this will not end in death. And then he says that the glory of God may be revealed. Granted, 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 even though Lazarus actually died, Jesus came and resurrected him. And so maybe this story may not fit what we are trying to compare it with. But let me just bring it to your attention. And that is, at some point or another, Lazarus also died. 
Or, you know where he lives today? You know? It still happened. It still happened at some point. And he still loved God, I want to believe. And God still loved him, I want, I want to believe. But he still went. My, my issue here is appreciating, and I wish to God that all of us in our church and those of us who will hear this word from wherever, will appreciate that we come to the word of God not to figure God out as it were, okay? Yeah, you can say we're trying to figure God out by way of revelation, etc., etc. But the truth of the matter is that you cannot, our little minds cannot fathom an infinite, eternal God. We are so small in that equation that if we knew God and it was a little dot on a page, then that would be genius. I'm going to say that our dot is so faint, you can barely see it. If at all, it wants to be, you know, compared with knowledge. It's so faint, you can't see it. He is so vast and so... We come to God and every knowledge about God leads us to worship. And when I say worship, it brings us to a place of awe and wonder and recognition of our deficiency, the recognition of our smallness, and the recognition of his greatness. That's worship. It is not like we are in a lab and God is, uh, we are figuring him out the way we used to do it, you know, back in the days in a laboratory and you would put this thing in a test tube and put the other thing in another thing and you would boil it or jack it, whatever it is. And then you would say, okay, I put this litmus test or I put this other test here and voila, I figured out the equation. No. Every time God opens a little of himself, it makes us realize how much we don't know him. I like to put it very simply. He is God and we are not. It doesn't mean that we stop seeking him. It means as we seek him, we get to the place where Paul reached, where he said, oh, that I may know him. Now, the man who wrote half of the New Testament is saying, I want to know him in the same way that he knows me. That just tells you how vast, how big. The Bible talks about the love of God and it talks about the breadth, the width, the length. The Bible talks about the spirit of God. This is John the Baptist speaking. He said, he that God will give his spirit, speaking about Jesus, he says, he will give him his spirit without measure. Tell me what you know that has no measure. People have measured from here to Pluto. Tell me what you know that has got no measure. Tell me anything you know that has no measure. And that just tells you if you dropped into God's knowledge, you'll never land. If you dropped into God, you'll never land. It has no measure. You'll never land. It's called sovereignty. It is what keeps us in the faith. A sense of wonder, awe, awe, A-W-E. Oh, we are always in a state of shock. We are stupefied. We are amazed greatly. We are Sometimes even befuddled, we are confused, not in a bad way, but confused in a way of how great, like the psalmist will say, thou art. No. So, having said that, 
I want to say that there will be situations in your life and in my life. Today we talk about Charlo and we dedicate this meeting to this sermon to that great soul. I told somebody, people die. People, people always die. And um, you get, um, you're full of grief, feel sad, you reach out to comfort people because that's the way it is. Then Charlo died. I'll tell you very honestly. People die. I mean, my father died. I. The only thing in my mind was to bury him. There was nothing else. But then Charlo died. And I think for the first time, somebody died and I was very angry. I was actually very angry. I didn't even know I was angry with who or with what. All I know is that in a very perfunctory, very mechanical way, I wore my sneakers and I walked out. And I walked from where I live to Kikuyu, could be about maybe six kilometers or more. And I just walked. And I wanted to keep walking. Matter of fact, I kept telling myself, I wish there was a way I could stop thinking about him. You know, I joked with my friend. I said, you know, if I was um, not on this other side of the kingdom, if I was on the other side of the kingdom, I would have gone straight to a liquor store and look for the stiffest drink to numb my, my thoughts. But I know better. But I felt that that was something I needed to do, just to numb my thoughts, not to think about it. The long and the short is this. And I love the scripture that says we are pressed on every side. We are challenged in every way. We are pushed. We are shoved. But then we have to keep our heads above the waters. Remain afloat. Keep faith alive. And remember. Always remember. He is God. And we are not. Yeah. That's who he is. God, and we are not. And be able to appreciate that he has free reign, right, more precisely, of our lives, both physical and otherwise, our lives. That he can interrupt, he can interfere just as much as he can bless and lift because he is God and we are not. So even as we spend some thoughts about our young good friend, Charlo, think about yourself and think about your life and think about this awesome God who every single day he amazes us by who he is. Let's still love him. I like the way Peter put it, and I'll finish with it. And I want to put it like a question. When Jesus asked a question, um, in actual fact, let me, let, 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 me, let me just get the text correctly. 
Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's what he said. Oh, okay. He didn't say, um, I want to give you um, a statement and I want you to take this statement symbolically. Or treat this statement as a parable or as a metaphor. No, no, no. There is no rider before the statement. There's no caveat before the statement. There's no disclaimer before the, the statement. It is a straightforward statement. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you want to say the kingdom, that's what they heard. People left, probably because of a good well-respecting Jews who know that according to their laws, they must never come near or be associated with anything that resembles, however remotely, to cannibalism. That's why they left. These are not bad people. These are people who, up to that point, they thought it made sense. Then he says that, and it is a thunderbolt from a clear sky. They don't see it coming, hits them between the eyes, and... They said, no, no, I think he's either lost it or worse still, he is blaspheming. They left. The disciples, the 12, stayed. So Jesus asked a very interesting question. He says, okay, do you also want to leave? Now, Peter answered, and this is where I want to finish. He said, where shall we go? Now, I want, I, want, I, want, I want to put it like a question. Is it because Peter understood, eat my flesh, drink my blood, or Peter wasn't a Jew? Or didn't know the law? He knew the law. He was a Jew. He knew that thing didn't make sense. He knew that it was lucky they never stoned him. He knew that at that point, if they stoned him where he stood, they would have been obeying the law in total. But there's something more about Jesus that Peter saw that went beyond his confusion for the moment, that went beyond the present confusion, let's call it that way. I don't understand you. I think you could have lost it. I don't know who, but there's something about you that I'm willing to wager, I'm willing to bet that is good and godly. And that if I hang around here long enough, I probably will understand where you're going with this. But at the moment, I am as perplexed like those who left. And that's a question I want to leave us with, good people. Where shall we go? Okay, fine. We are angry. Great. We've lost a job. Just like we've lost somebody now. We've lost a job. We, the marriage is gone south. Question. Where shall we go? Where shall we go? So every other week we are seeing people doing all sorts of things which aggravates a problem and makes it even more bigger. So where, where shall we go? We read it in the papers all the time. It's like David, you know, he did one wrong thing and then um, he ended up doing another wrong thing trying to cover the first wrong thing. Where shall we go? Nowhere. God bless you, church. Have a great week ahead of you and a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Sunday. Thank you. God bless you.